So would it surprise you if I told you that I have ants in my Bible? Oh, and by the way, you do too. Now, I have to say this. Growing up in San Antonio, Texas, um, you're listening to someone who knows ants quite well. I really do. In fact, I don't think I can even begin to tell you how many battles I fought with these pesky little creatures. I've battled sugar ants. Technically, they're called Camponotus consobrinus. They're about two millimeters in size, tiny. But let me just tell you, these little soldiers line up in mass to do damage to anything containing sugar in your home. In fact, if you want to know if something has sugar in it or not, just release a few of these little bugs and you'll quickly know. The problem when you battle them is that no matter how much poison you lay down, there, there always seems to be more of them. More of them. They just keep coming and coming and coming like a herd of bad zombies in The Walking Dead. Get sugar ants in your home, and let me tell you, you're going to be battling for quite a while. And then there are carpenter ants, or camponotus. These ants actually are a little bit bigger than their cousins. They're about half an inch in size. They can do, let me just tell you, considerable damage to a home. You know why? They eat wood. Much like a termite, they eat and they eat and they eat. Offer them sugar. No, thanks. <laughs> nope, don't need it. We're into protein. The big bad wolf may huff and puff and try to blow your house down, but the ants, they just eat it to the ground. So if you get them in your home, as we did, you have to battle them, and, and the battle will not be easy to win. Po poison may work eventually on sugar ants, but not carpenter ants. To get rid of them, you have to locate the queen and take her out. And she should be easy to find. The queen in carpenter ant land is, are you ready for this? Over half an inch to an inch long. This is a big ant. Finding her, you would think would be easy, but it's not. You know why? She's the most important and most protected part of a carpenter ant colony. The ants that are in charge of protecting her will move her, hide her, protect her at all costs. I'm telling you from experience, when you battle carpenter ants, you're in for a long, oftentimes costly battle. But one good thing, these ants probably will not kill you. In fact, it's a much smaller ant that has the power to do that. And I've fought these too. They're called Solenopsis. And they're little, about an eighth of an inch. Oh, and the more common name for them is fire ants. Do you know why they call them fire ants? Again, this is based upon experience. Let me tell you why. When these little creatures begin to bite you, sting you, their sting feels like fire. And no, they don't just sting you once and walk away. When fire ants get on you, they do so in number and they just don't stop stinging. They envelop your foot or your leg or your torso. They start stinging and stinging and they don't stop stinging. Wow, do they sting. In fact, any anyone know this? How many people fire ants kill in the United States each year? Do you know? The number is 30. Think about that. 30 people die each year from fire ant stings. And I think I know why. When you watch fire ants work, they remind you of the Chinese army. There's so many of them. They move quickly to envelop their victim. In fact, I've watched fire ants envelop large animals, like cows, and take them down. You do not want to get these things 
on you. So, Luke, why are you talking about ants? Why did you tell me that there's ants in my Bible? Well, because the, there are. Where? Well, you'll find them in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. You remember this little proverb? Just listen to these words. The writer of Proverbs talks about ants. Here's what he says, quote, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at harvest, end quote. There it is, ants in the Bible. And the reason they are has a lot to do with the topic that we've set before ourselves over the last two weeks. The topic has been organization. There's a lot of different types of ants. To be exact, there's 22,000 species. I'm telling you, God must like these little creatures. Made a bunch of them. But of these 22,000 different kinds of ants, we can say one thing. We can learn specific things from them. Number one, we can learn from their organizational skills. Number two, we can learn from their never-ending sense of urgency and their work ethic. Just listen to these words again. Ants have no overseer or ruler, yet they store all the provisions that they will need for both summer and winter, end quote. When scientists study ant colonies, it's apparent that they're organized around two things, A, a common purpose, and B, family. With regard to to purpose, you'll never find a colony of ants divided. Ants do not engage in emotional battles around whose idea is best or which ant is greater. Ants have one and only one purpose, the perpetuation of the colony. Toward this, each ant, from the queen to the worker, from the older to the younger, performs a task, the task that they were made for and that task alone. And then there's the family unit. Sociologists have commented that if human families were as united and loyal as those of ant colonies, there would be no room for divorce lawyers or courts. Add to this the fact that within the family unit, ants have highly rhythmic forms of life. Their life rhythm seems to serve both their structure and their purpose. Let me say that again. I think this is important. Their life rhythms serve both their structure and their purpose. And guess what? That's where this thought takes us back to the book of Daniel. Over the last two weeks, we've been in what I like to call one of the most spiritually informing sections of Daniel's narrative. Jesus, in pre-incarnate state, comes to Daniel, looking like Rambo, fresh from battle. He's intent on showing Daniel something that our eyes cannot see. Namely, the spiritual battle between demons, that is, fallen angels, and the host of angels, the angel army that belongs to God, that takes place between that spiritual curtain that separates the spiritual from the physical world around us. Now, I've always said that if for one second we as human beings were able to see behind this curtain, it would change us forever. Listen, to actually see even one demon angel, would drop any one of us to our knees, not not in worship, but in fear, to know that Satan has a highly organized army, that this very day is purposed to destroy your marriage, the lives of your kids, your grandkids, 
to bring to destruction everyone and everything that you love, I'll tell you, it would change you to see a demon. But we don't see it. We know that it exists, yet we go about our days as though it does not. Which is why we've been asking one significant question over the last two weeks. Here's the question. Hell is organized. It is. But are you? The truth is, when we take honest inventory of our lives and what they are organized around, we're certainly not organized as ants. Oh, just like ants, God's given us one single purpose to organize around. We, in fact, we can recite it. We recite Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew over and over. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We say it again and again. We write that Bible passage and put it up in our churches. We put it on floats and parades. But hand me most people's calendars, their planners, or their Google calendars. It won't take two minutes to demonstrate that our lives are organized around almost anything but that purpose. The writer of Proverbs is asking a question. Ants get it. Do you? Let me ask another question. Why, why does it seem like we're so distant from the single purpose that God has given us? I want to come back around the lesson that ants teach us. Keep it in front of ourselves today. Namely, this thought that the rhythm by which ants live their lives, that is their daily, weekly, seasonal activities, serve to form who they are, what they were made to be. And I believe that God intends the same for you and me. Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed as you read the Bible, just how intentional God has always been about organizing the rhythms of his people's lives? Has that ever stood out to you? In the Old Testament, God's rhythm for his people revolved around daily, weekly, and seasonal activities. Hmm, a lot like ants. Think about this with me. Daily. How did each morning begin for the families that made up Israel? Remember, it's called the Great Shema. In Jerusalem, the homes of families all faced one direction. Talk about physically representing the idea of a body of people called to a single purpose. They all face the temple. For Israel, the temple is about the one with whom they as a people have relationship. We are God's people. He and he alone is the love of our life. He is the one that's made us and purposed us to be his light in the world. This was physically manifested each morning with the blowing of the shofar. You did not need an alarm clock in Israel because everyone used the same alarm clock. The chauffeur would blow at daybreak. As families arose, it called them to hear from the altar of the temple these words. Shema Yitzrael, translated, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You could not begin a single day in Israel without hearing that message. God has made you. He loves you. He's purposed your life for one thing, to bring his light into the world. Now contrast that to the way most of us begin our days. We jump out of bed like characters in a bad version of the movie Groundhog Day. Yes, we do have rhythms. Most of them look like organized chaos. And if I can add this truth, most of our rhythms have little to do with being made by God, loved by him, or purpose for him. 
God established a daily rhythm for life in Israel because organization and the things that our lives are organized around matter a lot, weekly. Add to Israel's daily rhythm the weekly rhythm of Sabbath, Shabbat. Israelites knew that on sundown Saturday, every part of their lives would turn toward the one who loved them. Sabbath rhythm is about finding not just physical, but mental and spiritual rest in him. It is the admission that apart from his strength, we will fail in the purpose that he has given us in this world. Seasonal. Then there are the seasonal or festival rhythms. I'm telling you, we, we can make a whole study of just these. Sometimes I think about the fact that in the West, we, we do have seasons. We celebrate things like Halloween, Labor Day, Memorial Day, Christmas. I think I can still call it that without being arrested. At the end of the day, the rhythms that make up life in the West leave actually little room, if any, for Jesus. And I don't misunderstand me. And I don't want to be a curmudgeon. I, I find some meaning in the holidays that form our country's backbone. But how different were the festivals of Israel? From Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur to Bashach. Every single part of the year is spent focusing on a different aspect of what it means to belong to God, to be his light in the world. The seasons, the seasons are pointing to the purpose. It is for this purpose that I made you. Read the Old Testament. You can't miss it. God has very intentionally organized his community of believers toward the very purpose that he called them to be, his light. The same is true when you turn to the New Testament. The daily pattern described by Paul in Ephesians, involved putting on the full armor of God before walking out the door. I see in Paul's words a similar intention to the Shema of Israel, and that Ephesians calls us to understand that we are entering a battlefield for souls every day as we walk out our doors. There are weekly rhythms in Acts chapter 2 and 4. We find a beautiful picture of these rhythms, the church gathering together in homes and together regionally each week. There's a rhythm to their gatherings. There's a word rhythm and a sacrament rhythm. There's a witness rhythm and a service rhythm. And they take place every single week. The church was highly organized around one purpose. And yes, there were in the New Testament church seasonal rhythms. In fact, I think sometimes we forget this, that in the early church, prior to the Constantinian shift in the third century, the church actually continued to practice all of the Old Testament festivals. The difference, each festival was seen in light of Jesus' fulfillment of God's redemptive work. It doesn't matter whether you read the Old or New Testaments, you can't miss it. God organized his church around very specific rhythms. The church functioned, much like an ant colony. Many families, one purpose. It leads me to a couple of questions that are worth considering today. Question one, I want you to think about the rhythms that make up your daily, weekly, and seasonal life. How do those rhythms support the primary callings that God has given you as a husband or a wife, as a father or a mother, as a grandfather or a grandmother, specifically as a light bearer of the gospel? How do the rhythms support it? Question two, I want you to pay attention to your daily rhythms. 
just go through the week, make note of them. Are there currently any rhythms in your life that need to be either changed or eliminated? I found that sometimes rhythm creep happens in our lives without even thinking about it. Rhythms can creep into our lives that actually take us in a direction that is contrary to God's calling. Question three, one change. If I could ask you to just spend time this week thinking about one change that you could make to your rhythms in life that might move your needle towards living out the specific callings that God has placed into your life, what would that change be? Well, that's it for this week. I wanted to wrap up our look at the church organized around the battle that's taking place for souls. I hope it's been as fulfilling for you as it has been for me. Look forward to gathering together again next week. Until we do, I'm just going to ask for your prayers. Just continue to do that. I promise I will continue to pray for you. And in the meantime, have a God-sized week. <music>